Hi everyone, my name is Gabriel and this is the Hour of the Raven, your channel for everything Ravenloft, RPG, Dungeons and Dragons and horror. Today we will explore the history of Demontlieu, a region shrouded in bloody uprisings, conflicts and revolutions, but which emerged as a bastion of culture and progress in the land of the mists. Before we begin, I would like to remind everyone that this video will focus on the Demontlieu of the classic Raveloft setting, and will consider the events and characters that existed in the domain prior to the Von Richten Guide to Raveloft reboot. At the end of my video coverage of Demontlieu from the classic Raveloft setting, I will make some considerations and comparisons with the new version of Demontlieu in the Von Richten Guide to Raveloft. Are you ready? In our search for the missing Dr. Rudolf von Richten and for the cure of lycanthropy, we arrived at Port Alucine, the capital of Demontlieu, seeking the support of the famous detective and investigator Alanik Ray. In his office, his fellow adventurer Dr. Arthur Sedwick informed us that the detective was investigating the existence of an evil and manipulative presence in these lands, and that he also disappeared after a visit to the Grand Opera Nationale. Before his disappearance, he was studying the history of Demontlieu, searching for clues in the past that might lead him to discover the identity of this sinister force. We volunteer to help search for the whereabouts of the detective, and we study his notes and research to explore the secrets hidden in the past of these lands, marked with blood, riots and intrigue. Little is known about the remote past of Demontlieu, but historians speculate that these lands were engulfed in the mists from the same world in which the domain of Morden existed. Both domains shared the same language, known in the lands of the mists as Mordentish, and seemed to have cultural points of contact. This thesis, however, still lacks more stronger evidence to be proved. Those who walk to the cities of Demontlieu and observe their advanced society and culture are surprised to explore its past and history, and discover that just a few centuries ago, this was a region ravaged by chaos and violence. The oldest records we have of the history of Demontlieu are probably the impressive ruins of the Saint-Mère-de-Larmes Cathedral or the Holy Mother of Tears, and the texts extorted in its underground halls. These ancient ruins belong to some unknown and forgotten fate, which worshipped a goddess whose name was lost in time, from a creed that disappeared about 400 years ago. One of Ezra's sects is established in Demontlieu, and they believe that this unknown fate was a cult of the deity now called Ezra, and claimed that, in the subterranean halls of the cathedral, are mystical and esoteric texts that confirm that these lands were the original place where this creed had its origins. 
Despite these controversial revelations that shook the foundations of the Church of Ezra, to this day, the sect that managed these ruins continues to explore ancient and mysterious texts found in sealed rooms of its catacombs, but they keep their discoveries and revelations in secret. While this vast source of information about the past is not open to the study of the initiated in the sect, it remains for historians and researchers of the past of Dimonlu to turn to other sources. The ruined state of the cathedral saint mer de Lams appears to be a symbol of the destruction and desolation found in Dimontlieu a few centuries ago. About 300 years in the past, the lands of Dimontlieu were in complete anarchy, without any unity or leadership among their population. The constant struggles for power were further aggravated by raids of enemies who invaded these lands to plunder, and the people lived under constant fear and threats of violence and tragedy. Such was the devastation that the people referred to the region as the Mad Place, whose literal translation in High Modern dialect is Demon Liu, the name by which the domain is known. Many tried to conquer the leadership of these lands by force, or used coercion and bribes to try to dominate the region, but any power achieved this way was fleeting, and the region was soon once more embroiled in violent uprisings and cups for power. The region of Dimontlieu was only pacified by the actions of Lyon, who despite his great importance had his surname forgotten from the pages of history. Considered an enlightened man, Lyon was responsible for removing Dimonlieu from the tyranny of these would-be monarchs and rulers, and beginning the transformation of the region into the aristocratic republic regime currently in practice. Lyon rose to power, but to ensure the stability of his government, he brought close to him the most intelligent and respected members of each community. This group formed by the elders, healers, mediators, historians and philosophers, would be his advisors, and he shared power with them. With every community in the region represented, Leon and his advisors were finally able to coordinate the population of the region to defend themselves from external threats, and brought stability to the constant internal political disputes. This new model of government formed the basis of the current Council of Brilliance and Lord Governor, currently in practice in Dimontieu, and brought stability to the region. While neighboring kingdoms were still mirrored in violent disputes and ineffective governments, Dimontieu became a safe and prosperous place, and the region became a political reference, a beacon for progress and culture. This turning point in the history of Dimontlieu is pointed by historians as one of the causes of the formation of the values of Dimontlieu's society. The people of Dimontlieu have a strong sense of cultural identity and see themselves as intellectually and culturally superior to their neighbors, 
valuing the art and science as means of expressing their sophistication, finesse and superiority. In the same sense, such values can be seen within the Monrieuse society, with the nobility and aristocracy presenting themselves as enlightened and cultured individuals, whose vision and wisdom must be appreciated by the plebs who are under their rule. What in the remote past could represent genuine gratitude from the population to a council of wise and enlightened people who rescued the region from anarchy, barbarism and chaos, over time become the justification for a growing social disparity. If education and culture were the values that distinguish high society from the clubs, access to them became increasingly difficult and expensive, marginalizing a good part of the mid-years society. With each new rule, by a Lord Governor and his Council of Brilliance, the social charts grew in demon view. The luxuries, excesses, abuses and debauchery of the nobility became increasingly daring, and the discontent and revolt of the plebs was a cauldron ready to explode. When Lord Governor Bernard Fouquelin came to power, small insurgents and rebellions began to occur were severely repressed by the gendarmerie. Social repression ushered in an era of terror, and many met their end through executions in the public square. Through the use of the guillotine, an ingenious mechanism of decapitation. The trigger for a bloody revolt took place in 707 of the Barovian calendar when a group of commoners were arrested and executed for swimming in the Pernod Bay, about a hundred yards where a group of noble ladies were baiting. The population rose in bloody rebellion, crying out for revolution, and many lost their lives in countless conflicts. The culmination of this insurgency occurred when the Lord Governor, Bernard Fouquelin, was captured by the population and beheaded in the public square by the guillotine. During this period of anarchy and violence, when blood flowed down the pavements and gutters, the region of Dimontlieu was enveloped by the mists, which swallowed it from its original world and took it to the demi-plane of dread. With the deposition of the former Lord Governor and the Council of Brilliance, a new government was formed as soon as a minimum of political and social instability was reached. Lord Governor Chambon took over the post, along with the new composition of the Council of Brilliance. As a response to the popular uprisings, a series of new laws were established aiming to guarantee a decent condition of housing, food, and access to a minimum education for the poorest population of Dimontlieu. This effort of pacification met with some resistance from the aristocracy, but the government faced an even greater challenge ahead, as Dimontlieu was drawn into violent military conflict. Vlad Drakov the king Führer of the warlike neighboring kingdom of Falkovnia, 
ordered his troops to begin the annexation campaign. As soon as he received the first reports of the unveiling through the mists of the lands of Dimontu. The Falkovian annexation campaign was a bloody conflict, and Drakov's forces managed to penetrate deep in Dimontu's territory. Defeat was imminent, but when the Falkovian conquest appeared to be consolidated, there was a sudden change in the course of the war and the Falkovian armies were repelled. Dimonlu's government propaganda attributed the victory to their technological superiority. Although Falkovian's armies were numerous and well-trained, they were not prepared to face the muskets and cannons of Dimonlu's army. Many rumors, however, claimed that such factors played no role in the defeat of the Falkovians and that the conquest of Dimonlu was only prevented by unknown forces. A few detachments of Falkovian soldiers inexplicably and abruptly surrendered and betrayed their army, revealing their strategy and the position of their reinforcements and supplies, allowing the reaction and victory of Dimonlu's armies. The unveiling of Dimonlu through the mists attracted not only the aggressive forces of Vlad Drakov, and many were the immigrants from various lands who came to explore and settle in the region. Some anchorites were sent by the Church of Ezra on expeditions to explore these new lands and spread their faith. One of these explorers, the anchorite Johan Sikius, brought up intriguing revelations. In the center of the capital, Port Alucine, she found a ruined cathedral known as saint Bad de Lars, or the Holy Mother of Tears, and discovered that the ruin belonged to a forgotten faith, which worshipped a goddess whose name had been lost in time, and that about 400 years ago, this creed was forgotten, and only the ruins of the cathedral remained. Exploring the cathedral, Joan found a stained glass window still intact, with an image surprisingly similar to Ezra's image and iconography, and exploring its ruins, she found secret passages that led to a large underground network of tunnels and rooms. In one of these rooms, a sealed environment was found where there were numerous scrolls and records preserved for over 500 years. The discoveries shook the religious community, and Joan claimed that she had discovered lost teachings and texts that predated the first revelations of Yaakov de Lisnia, the founder of this faith and church. Despite the great controversy and constant accusations of heresy, John wrote a new book of Ezra, based on these revelations, and she underwent the rite of revelation, managing to conjure a new form of Ezra's shield. Faced with the true manifestation of the divine, the church recognized the revelations, and Joan became the bastion of a new sect of Ezra, based at Dimonlu in 709 of the Barovian calendar. Established in the ruined cathedral 
and its underground tunnels. The sect of the Church of Ezra is dedicated to esoteric studies and analysis of the relics found in their tunnels, which they believe to be the words and teachings of their deity Ezra. Another important group that migrated to Dimontreux in 707 were the Donner brothers, members of a traditional modern family who sought in Dimontreux a new opportunity for social ascension. After the death of their patriarch, the renowned physician Dr. Germain Donner, the family came into conflict and the brothers Claude and Maurice left Mordent, taking part of their inheritance with them to settle in Port Alucine. These foreigners had a quick and surprising integration into Dimoulieu's society. Maurice followed his family's fame and tradition and became a famous physician among the aristocracy, treating numerous illness and mental ailments. His brother Claude quickly gained political influence and became involved in the complex games of intrigue of Dimoulieu's high society. The horrors of war would again afflict Dimoulieu's society in the year 724, when Vlad Drakov began the executioner's campaign, a simultaneous military operation against the kingdoms of Richemulot and Dimoulieu. The armies of Dimoulieu, however, were already preparing for a new attempt of invasion from Falkovnia, and by controlling strategic points, they prevented the advance and invasion from Falkovnian forces. Despite his success in defending Dimoulieu against external attacks, Lord Governor Chambon did not find broad support from the aristocracy, who began to plot his deposition. The Donaire family played an important role in these games of intrigue, to gain the support of most of the Council of Brilliance and remove Lord Governor Chambon from his post. In his place, was elected Lord Governor Marcel Guignol, who raised his supporter Claude Donaire to the Council of Brilliance as Chief Consular. To end any chance of the position, Lord Chambon's supporters came to suffer from numerous economic constraints, which led them to financial ruin. Despite supporting Lord Governor Marcel Guignol, Claude Donaire enjoyed great popularity among the aristocracy and plebs, and many believed that it would be a matter of time before he overshadowed Marcel and assumed the post of Lord Governor. These expectations were dashed when Claude suffered from a sudden and terrible illness. His son, the young and discreet Dominique Donaire, was appointed to his position on the Council of Brilliance. In subsequent years, under the leadership of Josephine Chantreau, Consular of Defense and Order, the Treaty of the Four Towers was conceived, a pact of mutual defense against the Falkovnian Kingdom, which, in addition to giving a greater security to the nation of Dimonview, consolidated its position as a diplomatic leader of the region. 
since the ascension of Lord Marcel Guignol, the Dumundier's government has experimented an apparent political stability. However, those who look closely at the domain's social framework realize that the apparent tranquility hides the dangerous games of intrigue and betrayal between the aristocracy and a society on the brink of a new violent uprising. The concessions made by the aristocracy after the revolt of 707 were insufficient and precarious, and little by little, the feeling of indignation and revolt has taken hold of the population. Reports indicate that groups are starting to organize politically against the government, and it may be only a matter of time before a new violent insurgency washes the soil of Dimonlu with blood. After we finish our reading of Alan Ray's notes on the history of Dimonlu, we found no clues as to what could have been the evil influence behind Dimonlu's society, or as to the whereabouts of the detective Alan Ray. With no new leads, we decide to look for Alanik Ray's whereabout at the last location he was seen, at the Grand Opera Nationale. Away from the glamour of its presentations, we chatted with some of the building's employees and caretakers, looking for information about the night of his disappearance. After some interrogations, that during the opera performance, Alanik Ray had a long conversation with the chief consular Dominic Donaire in his private box. After that, he immediately abandoned the opera and sought the services of one of the coachmen waiting for the nobility around the great theatre. We await the night of spectacles to seek more information among the coachmen that work in the area. We need to appeal to small bribes to win their help, where we soon found out which one took Alanik Ray that night, that led the detective, with vacant eyes, straight into the precarious and dangerous region of the harbor docks. We follow this same path, in search of the answer to this mystery. Join us, subscribe to this channel, and turn on notifications. Let's investigate and explore the secrets of Demon Hill.